Welcome back to another episode of the Back Straight Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Danny Squires, and I'm here with Michael McKnight. How are you, Michael? All good? I'm good, Danny. Glad to make it to Sunday. Yep. And nice bit of sunshine over the weekend as well, which uh, helped a lot of the people running in the uh, cross country yesterday. Yeah. The end of last week was pretty dreadful with the storm that had blown in, but thankfully, uh, good weather at uh, Bobby Ray. And good, good weather for people on their Sunday runs today, also. Yeah, definitely. I was uh, I was out along the the towpath uh, with some of the Roadrunners AC crew, and um, yeah, the lagging was definitely the highest I've ever seen it. But the sun was shining, and the vibes were good. One week out from Dublin Marathon, so no complaints for the most part. I'm sure everyone had a nice Sunday long run today. We're going to be talking about that Dublin Marathon in uh, later in the episode, yeah. Yeah. What uh, what else do we do we have coming up in the episode? So I think as usual, we're going to kick off with a review of some results. So Bobby Ray cross country yesterday, and we're recording on Sunday night, so that was Saturday. And then about a week ago, I was down at the Spade Town cross country event in Lurgan, and I think then we're going to talk a little bit about all things marathon. Yep, a couple of big guests on the show this week. Uh, a blast from the past and a rising star, some would say. Uh, but I guess moving on to the Bobby Ray, which occurred yesterday. Um, brilliant day. Fantastic spot out there. What, what's your thoughts on that event? Yeah, the age group um, events are fantastic. Bring young athletes from all over the nine counties of Ulster. And it's great to see all the athletes from from Monaghan, from Cavan, from Donegal down in Belfast. Um, and, you know, lots of parents and things down. So a cross-country festival. The senior cross-country men's and women's are billed as an international. But in reality, um, we're really talking three or four or five uh, either international athletes, uh, you know, added to a local field. It would be great if the event could return to a, a home international format where you actually have genuine teams from England, from Scotland, Wales, and the Republic, and it would give the Northern Ireland teams, you know, something to compete against, which just isn't there at the minute. But saying that, they were still good races. Yeah. So just just for my own understanding, what what's the point of having this as a you know an international cross country? How does that differ from a normal cross country that we have over here? Well, there's always historically been. Uh, in Northern Ireland hosted international cross country going back to the days of Molusk. And that's, you know, uh, in the, in the 80s when I was running and they were fabulous events that drew the cream of British middle distance running. So people like Steve Ovet, uh, Jerry Kieran and Jerry Deegan, lots of the big Irish guys, uh, leading British cross country runners ran there. Um, that fell by the wayside, you know, many years ago and intermittently there's been a, you know, some successful events. Antrim hosted an international cross country, but it's really come down to, you know, generally a local field with uh, a few international blow-ins. Um, about two or three years ago, there was a good good version of the current event at Bobby Ray where there were teams from the South and from Scotland and Wales, and that was much more interesting. I think that was part of the Celtic series. So I, I guess it's Northern Ireland athletics, I guess, are, are working to try to sort of, um, you know, create something uh it has more of an international feel but you know we're a small place so it's probably tricky enough for them 
Yeah, look, I guess they're, you know, they're heading in the right direction. And it, there were a couple of, uh, you know, GB athletes in the women's race. I'll just go over some of the results now. So yeah. uh, we had, you know, Izzy Fry and uh, Alex Millard. They took out the number one and number two spots. And they're both from Great Britain. And then we had Julia Koroluska from Poland. Uh, and then the fourth place, which was the other international addition to the women's race, was uh, Frida Luna from Argentina. So, you know, as far as the the race went, I think uh, these international athletes really sort of led from the gun and they they really like made a bit of a, a gap on the rest of the field. So, um, yeah. Did you have any comments about the race? What, what were your sort of thoughts there? I thought it was a you know good race. I was actually watching the race within the race, which was the uh, – the local or the Ulster and Northern Ireland athletes, um, because that was a very competitive tussle, um, which Hannah Gilliland um, had a fantastic run. She finished in fifth place and got a lot of really good scalps. Rosha Roberts uh, from North Belfast, who's at Dublin City University, also had a really, really strong run, um, as did Rebecca Osborne. So if you were looking forward to the Athletics Northern Ireland and Ulster Senior Women's Cross Country this year, there's maybe only one or two people you would add to that field. Um, so it was a you know high quality ladies race from the local perspective. Yeah, and then I think uh, there was also the the men's sixty race which was happening uh, at the same time. So uh, Davy Clark, followed by Gary Wilson, and then third place in that race. Hopefully, won't get it wrong. Paddy Haven there. So you know that was sort of the three uh, Gary, Gary events Wilson. in the event. Gary Wilson, I'm going to give a shout out to you because uh, Gary, also known as Dub is his nickname. Gary was a neighbor of mine growing up and uh, he was a fantastic cyclist as the, as, a, as a young guy. As he went to Belgium um, uh, to ride uh, professionally, you know, stayed there for a little while, came back, later got into triathlon. But this guy's a very, very, very good master's runner. Um, and uh, it's great to see him still going. Yeah, there you go. And uh, I guess as far as the, the team results, you've got Annandale Striders, number one, North Belfast Harriers uh, coming in second and North Down AC in third place. So, you know, a great turnout for the women's race. Uh, then in the men's race, we again had uh, some international athletes taking the top two spots. So we had Johannes Asmare from Ethiopia and then Ilias Fifa from Spain. And then Nick Riggs, third place. It was good to see. Uh, good to see him on the podium there. And it was a pretty close race for second and third. I think first place it was real sort of you know decisive win by Johannes. Um, but what were your sort of thoughts? I mean, we both were both there and we were both spectating. So I'd love to get any comments. I, th I thought it was a pretty pretty good race. Um, you know, it was a leading group that stayed together for you know really until the last lap. And the winner, Johannes came through he sat back uh we didn't know a lot about him um but when he hit the front he certainly went uh Iskander um from Striders who's a, a fellow Ethiopian had a bit of a chat with him afterwards and uh was telling me that he was fast and he certainly showed that um I thought it was a good a good race and it, a really good run out for Nick Griggs ahead of uh the Nationals in a few weeks time he won't have been on the you know on, on the country in almost a year so, uh, you know, it was a necessary uh, workout and blow some of the cobwebs away. Um, a couple of people I want to, um, you know, focus on. Um, Connor Bradley in fourth 
from City of Derry had a fantastic run. And Connor has had a few injury problems in the, in the last few years, but uh, periodically reminds us of just what a great athlete he is. He had a really good run in the Laganside 10K earlier this year, I think around 29.20, then picked up a bit of a niggle, um, but he's getting back to his best. Um, and again, I think he's running the Nationals and in a few months' time, and you know he's looking in really, really good shape. Um Disappointing run from Iskander, you know, by his standards. Um, Matthew Lavery, uh, North Belfast, who's an under-23. Uh, Matthew hasn't been around for a little while, really since last cross-country season, but is a really, really strong cross-country runner. Former um, Irish, I think, under-19 champion. And he's just starting to make the transition from, uh, you know, the whole under-20 kind of thing through to senior. And he's going to be a big force going forward. He had a really good run uh, making the top 10. Um, in the uh, in the team results, so we had Kanda Track Club or Kanda, I guess it's Kandor. Uh, yeah. They came first. North Belfast came second. And Annandale Striders came third. Now, moving on from there, uh, a slightly smaller race, but no less prestigious was the Spaytown Spaytown Cup down in Lurgan uh, the weekend before last. You were down there, Michael. How'd the race play out for, I think you maybe caught the men's race? Yeah, it was uh, It was really nice to be back in Lurgan Park, which for those who have been involved in cross country for a while, it is kind of the ancestral home of the old Northern Ireland senior cross country. Really nice parkland course, uh, you know, a bit of hill, some nice turns, a little bit of wooded kind of running. Um and it was a great event hosted by St. Peter's AC, who are a club who are making really, you know, big strides at the minute. Uh, particularly their ladies are becoming very competitive in the local scene. So men's race was not a huge field, but a really competitive event. Uh, Johnny Spratt from Annadale Striders took the win pretty comfortably in the end. Great to see Johnny back in some decent form. Um who was second now? Let me John, John Black John was Black. second, followed by yeah. Jimmy Sloan. Good to see John back as well. I think he's maybe had a few injuries, so nice return to form. John ran a really canny race. You know, he was sitting in the pocket for a few laps and then just gradually the last lap began to work his way through. Um, and it's great watching a really experienced athlete because they don't panic and they usually make all of the right calls. Um, so that was, yeah, good, good race. Yeah. It looked like a fantastic race in, in the men's race. And then, yeah, in the women's race, uh, you had Rebecca Osborne coming in first, followed by, uh, Gillian McCrory and then Shailene O'Kane from Lagan Valley AC. And that race was actually combined with the male vets race where Colin McDowell from North Belfast Harriers came first, closely followed by Gary Wilson and Paddy Haben. So yeah, you, you caught that race as well, Michael. what do you think? That was a, a decent race. Uh, Colin McDowell and Rebecca Osborne juked it out most of the way. Um, Rebecca's track speed uh, just proved a little bit too much over the last 100 metres. Although I did note that Colin had run the park run in Craig Evan earlier that day. So obviously it may have just been a training exercise. Yeah, high mileage day. I just want to shout out Richie Edwards there as well, fourth in the male vets race. Top work by him. I know Richie personally, and he's a good bloke. So, look, that's uh, that's the Spaytown uh, cross country. I think now it's probably time to move on to something that's happening in the future. So we've got Dublin Marathon in 
what would be about three days after this episode is posted up. I don't know if you've ever been down there to run it, Michael, or if you've spectated down there before. No, no. Um, I watch with interest most years because invariably there's somebody that I know that's running. And uh, just guess what, Danny? I know somebody who's running this year, which would happen to be you, mate. Yep. Got a got an entry and thought, why not? I'll just toe the line for one more big race this year. So should be good. More just looking forward to it being over now. How are you feeling? Uh you know, we're recording one week out. How are you feeling? What's the plan going to be for this week? Yeah, feeling pretty good. I mean, the the block was a little bit a little bit different to how I trained for London, but I think it's gone pretty well. I've managed to, you know, stay away from any injuries and uh, kept the energy levels pretty high. Um, definitely at the point now where I feel like I just want to get over and done with. So, yeah, this next week is just going to be a few short sort of easy runs. I might do a couple of um, like, you know, minute on minute off reps on Tuesday or Wednesday, but other than that, just try and kick back as much as possible and rest the legs up. And yeah, it should be, it should be a good race down there in Dublin. I've never really seen the course or know too much about it. I think there's a few hills in the first half, but other than that, just going to go with the flow and run my pace and see how we go. Yeah. Excellent. Any, any particular, um, nutritional plans, a big pasta feed on Saturday night, for instance. Yeah, I think my girlfriend's actually scoped out a really good-looking um, Italian place for the Saturday. So once we go pick up the the race pack, we'll head there and uh, you know get a feed of pasta in, which I think that's typically my go-to before a race, just like the night before, good carb load, um, maybe a bit of uh, tiramisu for dessert. We'll see. And then yeah, my my only advice, yeah. Danny, is after the marathon, before you come back up the road, just to help you, um, uh, I don't know, get some more energy back. A pint of stout has to be the way to go. I've just got to say, like you know, post race, it's going to be very be a very dangerous day to be a pint of Guinness because I'm hunting one <laughs> down straight away. So, no, that's definitely on my recovery plan. I'm really looking forward to it. And yeah, actually, I, I, it's been great as well during this whole block. I've been able to train a bit with um, yeah, the Roadrunners crew down there at Musgrave Hospital and been jumping in with a, a few of the guys in some of the, the longer sessions. So that's been nice to train and do some miles with those fellas. So yeah, shout out to those people down there. And uh, I know a lot of them are towing the line. So I wish good luck to everyone who is racing in Dublin. Uh, it should be yeah, a, a good day out. Yeah, one of the things I think you've just hit on there, which is really, really nice, is that, you know, there is uh, an ability of athletes locally to hook up with people from other training groups and other clubs, you know, particularly if they're doing things like marathons. I mean, I know Marty Ray, who is, I don't know whether he's a formal member of Roadrunners, but Marty is something of a bit of a marathon guru and is mm-hmm. very generous in terms of giving his time and his, his expertise to people who are thinking of, uh, Doing the 26 miles. Yep. I've heard he's the the best pacer um, in the UK. I think London Marathon tries to get him on the roster every year to pace their three-hour group. Apparently, he's run 80 sub-three marathons. Don't know. I have to fact-check that one exactly, but uh, that's what I'm hearing on the on the grapevine. No, we'll have, but, to, we'll yeah. have to get him on the pod sometime. Yeah, definitely. He's telling me about some fantastic things that he's gotten up to in his running career. So I think it's... Uh, yeah, he'd be a good man to get on here. Uh, but yeah, as you said, you know, like it's 
it's uh it's great having all of these different clubs all around Belfast and Northern Ireland. And it's even better when we see good collaboration between the clubs. And, you know, we've we've discussed this. It'd be nice to um to to get out to a few training sessions with some of the other clubs and maybe do a little segment for the podcast in the future. So yeah, we might be coming to a club near you. Yeah. Well, look, Danny, um when we were thinking about putting this uh, episode together, I thought it'd be pretty cool to look up um, one of Britain's former great marathon runners um, and uh, hear his crack uh, and maybe see if he could offer you a little bit of advice. So uh, it's a guy called Jimmy Ashworth um, and, uh, you know, we've, recorded the interview a few days ago but i think it's going to be a you know really good one for people who are interested in marathon running or maybe running a marathon like you are pretty soon or are thinking about moving to marathon so before we begin i'll maybe just give a little bit of background on jimmy okay for anybody who followed marathon running in the 1980s the name of jimmy ashworth might be a familiar one he was born in bradford and he forged his running on the the brutal roads around his native Yorkshire. And Jimmy became one of the leading marathon guys of his era. His career high points included victories in the 1985 Berlin and Miami marathons, a seventh place finish in London and 12th in New York. Jimmy also won, I think, four inter-counties titles over different distances. He set PBs of 211.43 for the marathon, 45.52 for 15K, 62 24 for the half marathon and all of these were done without the super shoes which people benefit from today so quite a guy so jimmy let's start right at the beginning how'd you get into running well <clears throat> we had a young family really we we just got married and we had a young family and of course money's tight as as it is with everybody but it was tight, and, uh, and and so I needed really to save money, and I, and I also I put some weight on because probably content and happy living, you know what it's like. And I thought, well, <laughs> I need to lose a bit of weight, and I've always enjoyed running, you know. It was something that I'd, I'd, I'd watch and that kind of thing. And I thought, right, so I just basically set off and went for a run, and then joined the local club and uh, once I got down to the local club I realised that I couldn't run so then I didn't bother running I just come home <laughs> and that were it but of course I stuck out the running and and you know well you know the rest really but <laughs> that's it in a nutshell and you trained you were at Bingley Harriers is that right that's that's correct yeah yeah and obviously for some of our listeners Stevie Binns will be a familiar name because he was something of a, a superstar as a, as a teenage athlete. That's correct, yeah. Well, when I joined the club, uh, Binny, Stevie were there. And, of course, like, you know, you, you think you, you can run a bit, but then you have this this superstar, this Stevie Binns, and he's, he's gone, you know. And, you know, you, you're thinking, well, I'm not as fast as that. But what you don't realise if you're new to a sport is that somebody who, who's sort of up there, if you're measuring against somebody like Stevie, who was world-class, you know, it's the, the, gap, the gap is massive. And you think, well, no way. Whereas if, if there'd have been sort of 
you know, some if it had been nearer, you understand what I'm saying? Not that it had been any easier, but the, I think it not twisted my way, but it, it, it made me think that I wasn't fast enough, really. And, of course, I was measuring up against, as you say, somebody like Stevie Binns. And is that what drove you towards the marathon? Yes. Yeah, because I realised, well, I always wanted to be an 800-metre runner, really. But I realised very, 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 very quickly that I just wasn't fast enough. Hence, you know, train, you know, when I got a little bit fitter and things like that, doing training sessions with Stevie Binns and Colin Moore and another top runner called Dave Slater and all these, you know, were, were really, you know, world-class. I mean, they were running in the uh, <clears throat> running for England in the national, you know, in the world cross country championships. And, you know, you're running, we used to, wherever we ran, we ran a circuit really around the field. And, uh, you know, I was going well, but not fast. You know, I, I had an engine, I could keep going, but I wasn't fast. And, uh, and really that's what led me to the marathon. You're quoted um, in a, an article I read recently. You apparently said, running, it's one of those things that gets under your skin. It's an addiction. Yeah. It's an yeah. obsession. So is there a connection between the hardest event, the marathon, and that kind of personality type? No, I, I, no, no, but yes. <laughs> How can I answer that? Uh, I think, as I said, I went more towards the uh, marathon because I realised that I was no good at running shorter distance. And I think the addiction part of it is, well, in my case, you do, you know, and I do think with other people, you read their accounts on social media, how they become addicted. That's how people end up having these so-called running streaks. You know, Ron Hill were a prime example of somebody who were addicted to running. You know, regardless of where he was, he would train twice a day. So it does, it does. And I think when you're driving to reach something in your life, like, you know, you want to run well over a marathon, there's an addiction side to it. You know? Clearly you had the drive to be able to log the kind of training that you did on your way to becoming a very good marathon runner. Oh, yes, yeah. I, I didn't, <clears throat> I found it really easy to do the training. It wasn't a problem because it's like going from, a to B to get to B, you know, you have to go through A first. And to get to be a good marathon runner, you need to put the training in. So it, it really was as simple as black and white, really. No, no magic portions and no, and no magic shoes. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm right, you also combined, you know, a pretty physical job with yeah. training twice a day. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I've even trained three times a day while I was well. I got a job in a, which was a lot easier. I got a job in a sports shop. And uh, so on a Friday, I could train three times a day. <laughs> but so previous used, to that, am I right in thinking you worked in a scrapyard for a while? And... Oh, yeah, scrapyard, empty dustbins. And uh, I can understand why I would, as, a, as, you get, as you look back, you understand why you're so tired, you know, constantly tired. My legs constantly ached, and you know I never really understood it. But uh, I got myself one of these, 
Garmin watches because I have to have to walk so many steps. You know, I keep fit, and uh, it's amazing how much you can cover in such a short time. And I often think when I were emptying dustbins, I were probably doing maybe twenty thousand steps a, a day. Plus, on top of that, I were running twice a day and all. No wonder I were knackered. <laughs> yeah, and had you been around today? At the level you were running at, you probably would have got funding from UK Athletics. You would have been able to uh, train in the morning, have a nap, get up and train again, get your strength and conditioning. So life would have been a lot easier. Well, yeah, yeah, life would, yeah, life would be a lot easier. But it is what it is, isn't it? So, so, one hundred and thirty miles, one hundred and fifty miles a week. That's twice a day, every day, and massive yeah. Sunday runs. Yeah, big, big. I mean, <clears throat> in the end, I settled on running twenty-two mile on a Sunday. But it it, it is so easy to add the miles up, you know, to, to reach your hundred and thirties, hundred and forties. Well, I found it easy. No, it's not a big problem. Occasionally, I would run twice on a Sunday, not always. And occasionally, when I was first starting off on the journey to be a marathon runner, I'd be running, and I did. The longest I ran was 30, I think 32 or 33 mile in one go. And I did that for quite a few weeks just to build up that endurance, that strength, that background. But I, I never did. Once once I started to get stronger and, and level off, I never did that sort of thing again. But I would run something like a 22 and five, five or seven mile at night. You know, wouldn't think out of it. And what about things like nutrition supporting your your training back then? <laughs> Just you can eat anything, can't you? When you're running, <laughs> when you're running 150 mile a week or whatever, you you can eat anything. Really, so it's honestly, like the, the Alf Topper approach to diet then. Well, yeah, I mean to be to be honest, my, my wife she cooks some great food, you know, great meals. So there were always. Good healthy mood, good healthy food, but full of carbohydrates. Yeah, you know? yeah. To the point that when my son sometimes has come to visit and that he loves, he loves his mum's cooking. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you a favourite race or performance that sticks out? There's lots of favourite performances, I have to say, but I think my my favourite race really was the time when I finished second in the Berlin Marathon. Uh, to uh, Carl Lismont, because at the time Carl Lismont, well, yeah, the great you know, Belgian just, athlete, of course, yeah, yeah, he just finished third in the European marathon. Uh, you, you know, I mean, silver and a bronze medalist at the Olympic Games. So, you know, and we had we had a really good battle in the, in the race. I mean, of course, you know, I got second to him, but it, that I think that's me. Yeah, I think I rate that as like, yeah, it's one of my favourites. As I said, I've got so many really favourite races. It's hard to put. Yeah, I can't. I'd, I'd be lying really if I said, oh, because then I can think, well, oh, what about you're into counties twenties when you won that? What about when you ran forty eight minutes first time for ten mile? I mean, what about when I broke sixty minutes for ten mile for my first time? You know, all those things, 
you know, a, a brilliant performances. And what what motivated you more as an athlete? Where you finished or time? It seems to be that for today's athletes, time seems to be all important. Race to race. Yeah. I would race. And I'd I mean I, and I'd risk the chance of blowing up. That didn't come into it. It's it's all about racing. I mean, it's so sad now because marathon re- running in particular has become has just become a procession of pacemakers. They might as well not even call it a race. Just call it the Berlin time trial, the London time trial, because that's all they're doing. They're not racing. One of the things that we talked uh, to a guest a couple of weeks ago on, which was about uh, the World Championships, and we were discussing how some of the top athletes really struggled to race in that arena because they're so used to the Diamond League where they're basically, you know, they've got the lights, everything is set up for them. And there's athletes who are clearly great time trialists but don't have any of the skills of, of racing. No, no. I mean, I thought, I thought uh, you know, Josh, Josh, what it, Josh Kerr when he yeah. won the 1500, that were racing. That yeah. were proper racing, that one. You probably wouldn't beat him doing a time trial, but racing is, yeah, it were great racing with that. And I feel especially like in the marathon and that, they don't have to think, they can switch off. You, you, if you think you start a race and you've got half a dozen guys in front of you who are setting the pace, you don't even have to think about if one of them starts to go a little bit forward because you know he's not making a move for it. All he's doing is he's probably just felt a bit good and he looks back and then he'll fall back to the paces. Whereas, you know, back in the day, if somebody made a move, you'd be thinking, now is this person going for it? Or, you know? Yeah, there's a story about you covering uh, a break by Steve Jones in a race. To your cost. Oh, yeah. Well, that's normal, isn't it? <laughs> you, you follow him and you're left alone. Then, you know, he's gone and you're on your own. But, I mean, in the next breath, it works because you end up running fast. You've committed yourself. I mean, I remember one particular time, uh, it was the uh, three years half marathon championships at Birmingham. The weather conditions were atrocious and he ran at the time the world's best. 1985 it was, and he ran the world's best. And, and the, the, the weather, it was awful, it really was. And uh, he set off and I'll tell you who finished second to him, Carl Thackeray, you know, yeah, uh, Callie's dad, and she yeah, just had a Callie's, big marathon at the weekend, yeah. She did, she did yeah. It was fantastic running by her. But, uh, yeah, and he set off, and, and, of course, I followed. I jumped straight on, and we'd know soon. I, I tell you what, if we'd gone a mile, it, it, it would just spread out. And I can remember we turned around and come back down, and I looked across, and you could see, uh, and the athletes behind me were good athletes. And I looked, I thought, well, that's it, I'm on my own. So you just put your head down and dig in. And of course, I came out at that particular time with a PB. But uh, it was you know, if it have, oh, no, most definitely. But if it had been clever, I'd, I'd have just sat with the pack and not raced and still run round, but not come out with a PB. So I thought I were always, I were always ready to commit. I, I would, I would commit. Looking back now, you know, um, on your career and on how you trained, what would you do differently, if anything? Not train, not train as hard. 
that is it, not trainers had. I, I thought I don't think I rested enough. I didn't understand the need for recovery. And I, I didn't take really downtime or anything like that. I mean, I remember I ran a, a marathon and I think it was the week after I ran, well, it was that particular one. Well, I've done it twice, actually. I, I ran the fastest leg in a, a relay the week after running a marathon. And one particular time I turned out for my club again a week after a marathon and ran 10K on the track. I mean, it wasn't a super fast time, but it was just a shade over 30 minutes. But it was, it was only seven days, no, six days this week because it was a Saturday, six days and after. Were you self-coached or did you have a coach? I was basically self-coached. I got a bit of help uh, at, at times. I bounced. I really bounced ideas off people, really, if I'm being honest. You know, talk it out and that kind of thing, yeah. But if there'd been maybe maybe more support around, that might have helped you in terms of... I don't know, because I think I was stubborn. I was doing <laughs> things... <laughs> yeah, I was doing things what, really, I was, I was doing a lot of big, big miles, you know, and... Yeah, I think I think I was hitting some big miles, and people are telling you, "Oh, well, you shouldn't really be doing more than hundred mile a week," or "Oh, you're doing a lot more." And, and I'm, the thing is, I was having the success with what I was doing, and so then I got stuck in the trap of, "Well, if this works, more must work." So I then worked harder, put more miles in. But of course, you reach that point where it, it doesn't work, you know, or or in my case, I think, I mean, I'd have got away with it more if perhaps the intensity hadn't been as hard because I was constantly pushing it. You know, I wouldn't, I didn't have a down, I didn't have a down day or a down week. Jimmy, I'm going to bring Danny in because I think he's he's got something he wants to ask, maybe just off the back of what you've just said. Yeah, I'm just curious about um, why there was this, I guess, big idea that these huge miles and I guess context for the listeners, we're not talking, you know, 80 or 90 miles a week. I think I read somewhere that you were running, you know, 130, 150, even up to like 160 miles a week. I'm just curious yeah. as to why everyone in this, this golden area of, uh, of distance running thought that was the best idea. Was there some sort of science behind it or that's just what everyone was doing? I think what they, the most I ever did was 182 mile in a week. That's the most I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> so was there science behind it? I think it, yeah, I think it, it, it fell on, on that sort of like more is better, really. I think you've got the Lydiard uh, theory of 100 mile a week and people, well, runners built on that. And there were many good club runners who would be running 100 mile a week. It wasn't a case of, you were the odd person out running 100 mile a week. Yeah, I was the odd person out running the miles I were running, but not in the sense that a lot of club runners at the time would be running 100 mile a week. So, you know, and, and so, so to build on that is, is really like, for me, it was just the ne next step forward to get the, re and the results you get, of course, you think, well, this is the right way because nobody can really argue with you. You know, uh, then, like for me, I was running, what really happened with me was I was running about 120, 130 mile a week. And I got a, a, telephone, a last minute telephone call 
to uh, represent England. And uh, and I wasn't going to turn it down. It was to run a marathon. I had no preparation or anything like that. I'd been running good runs up to then, but nothing nothing spectacular. Anyhow, I got the invite and I, and I ran. And I ran rubbish. I ran 2.29, you know, and really rubbish. And, I, and at that point, I was fed up. I thought, I've been doing this 120, 130 mile a week all the time. I thought, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pack it in being a marathon runner. I'm really happy to do ten milers and things like that. Because so we're getting success at doing that. But I thought I'll just give it one more one more push, one more go over the winter. So that particular winter I went up from 130 to 150, 160 mile a week. Uh basically for a near on six months before I uh, raced a marathon. And so after doing that, I raced a marathon and I ran 2.15 on my own, winning by seven minutes, which, you know, is is pretty good. No paces, nothing. So, of course, then for me, the, the die was, was cast to run big mileage because at that time, you've got, I think, to run 2.15 on your own, you're only six minutes behind a world record. You know, it's uh, so that the high mileage, the high mileage worked for you. But if you, you know, if you yeah. had your time again, you would maybe do the high mileage, but work in a bit more rest and maybe taper a bit more into races. Is that what you're sort of saying? Yeah, yeah, taper more into races, I'd rest more. But of course, you've got to now factor in with nowadays. You've got the shoes, you've got the the energy, you know, the the gels, etc. You know, the carbohydrate. London, there's there's more understanding about rest and recovery. I mean, my idea of a taper would be to drop down to a hundred mile a week, and then race. You know, <laughs> yeah, and I would race well off it if I wanted. If like a marathon, I'd drop down to probably seventy, but the taper would only be a seven day taper. Nothing would change. Just for that final days, it'd just go. If you can see me, and it'd just drop like that. And of course, many a time, you know, I was lining up on tired legs, but I didn't really, I didn't understand why. I can almost hardly believe that you're running sub two twelve off, uh, you know, not really tapering, running a seventy mile week in the lead up. And then you mentioned nutrition wise, obviously there are no gels. We just having a glass of water at halfway or what was the situation? Well, I never bothered with the water because you see, I never trained, I never trained with it. You know, when I'm doing a long run, I didn't start, I didn't take a drink or nothing. I didn't take my food. So why would I need to stop for, for a drink? Only every time I sort of remember was New York, uh, 84, when it was red hot, the humidity was ninety four percent, and uh, I remember taking a drink then. But other than that, I never bothered with the drink. You know, I, I I became really good at running in in the heat. Actually, you know, I was no matter how hot it was, I were I were good. I could handle the heat, but that's probably because of the type of training I was doing. I was training my body to go without the water. <laughs> Jimmy, we've got you in reflective mood, um, and Danny won't mind me saying, but Danny is running the Dublin Marathon in a couple of weeks' time. This is his second marathon. So uh, 
is there any advice that you could offer a newbie runner like Danny? Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> too late. It's too late. <laughs> Ask for a refund. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, really, it, Danny. To be honest, it's 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 all reflected of what your training's been like, what training you've done, and make sure you, as we've been on about, make sure you have your gels and take your gels, and don't set off too fast because if you've been doing your, your training correct. Then first three, four mile are going to feel so, so easy. And you'll want to go because if you've tapered right, trained right, they will feel easy. But really hold back, you know, be generous with yourself. You know, even if you're slow, even if you run slower than your marathon pace at the beginning, not by minutes or anything like that, but even by, say, say 10 seconds a mile slower, you will claw that back later on because you're not burning up that's that really is it and don't waste the energy sage you know? advice what's your target <laughs> danny uh i don't know if i want to commit to a certain time but no i think uh around about two, <laughs> <laughs> uh, around about 238 um but you know i'd just i'd take a pb so anything under 242 would be great well then set off on your pb pace at 242 and then work from that you know work into it because as, as the race goes on you know you'll you'll soon know you think oh, well i'm on i'm on a good day and you'll pick up you'll naturally pick up but just hold, hold just hold back if you can say hold back for five miles just mm -hmm. on that 242 pace because you you will push on and you you will you'll finish it and think flipping it, I could have gone faster, which is really good for your your confidence for a later race, and also it's nice to finish feeling well. Yeah, that I feel good with a new PB. Yeah, I've yeah. I've heard that you don't typically nail a marathon until maybe your fifth or your sixth. Did you experience that as well? Oh man, when I ran my first mar my first marathon after two years, I'd been training two years, and my first marathon was two thirty one. Right. I went from 231 and every marathon got slower and slower and slower till till the point, as I said, I ended up running up 229. Uh, I can explain many reasons why it got slower because, of course, I like to race, so I would automatically commit to the front. You know, if we set off at, say, like 52 minutes, 53 minutes for 10 miles, I'd go with it, but I didn't have the strength and endurance to maintain that pace, that 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 comes with time, you know. But yeah, but it did. It took me. Well, I say it, I, I give myself five years to get an international vest, and uh, that's what I. And it took five years to get an international vest. So Danny, you plenty of time. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a quick tale. How I got my first invite abroad. You'll you'll really like this one. Is what I uh, I asked. Uh, I got in touch with a, a fellow who worked as an agent, and I'd just won the Manchester Marathon. I'd won it by seven minutes, you know, which is a good performance, two fifteen, running twenty odd mile on my own. And I says, I, you know, I should get a trip abroad. I said, you know, can you get me a trip? Oh well, I don't know, I don't know. I says, well, tell the race organizer I'll come and break the course record. So he told the race organizer. And of course, when I, when I mentioned the course record, he says, "All right, get him in." So I, 
I got in like, and it was the Berlin Marathon where I finished second. And the first things he said to me was, you didn't break course record. I thought, no. Well, he says, you didn't, you, you didn't win it. I said, yeah, but I still broke the course record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Jimmy, you were active during what I talked about earlier was a golden era in British distance running, uh, pretty marathon. So we had Steve Jones, Charlie Spedding, Jeff Smith. Oh, Mike yeah, Bradley, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. others. Yeah. Why do you think the standard was so good then? If there's more of you, it pushes. If there's more, like in a, in a, in a take it back to a club level. If you've got one good runner, sometimes it'll pull the runners along. But if you've got two or three good runners, it'll drag more along. And I think at that time, that area, there was quite, as you say, quite a few good marathon runners. And so to get anywhere, anywhere, you were competing against these guys on a regular basis, and it's pulling you on, it's pulling you through. If you, if, if excuse me, if there's just you on your own, it, you know, it, there's nobody pushing you. There's nobody pushing. You've got nobody to aim for, and there's there's nobody pushing you. I think because there were that nucleus, you had to run faster to to become a marathon runner. It counted really for nothing. If you were what she does nowadays, if you're running slow, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but I think it works that way. Just like, just like a club, you get one good runner, then another, then another, and it pulls pulls them all up. Even the lad who who, who you think, well, he, he's slow, he'd get faster because he, he's trying to catch up with them up in front. Yeah, success breeds success. Danny, yeah. um, I got to pass it over to you because we were going to talk to Jimmy a little bit about. What's been happening in the world of marathon running recently? I guess, Jimmy, in the past, you know, in the past month, we've seen both the men's and the women's world records broken in the marathon. Uh, and yeah, actually, yeah. the women's world record has been broken twice in the past two or three weeks. Do you have any, I guess, uh, suggestions as to why this is or any comments on that? I think if we if we dare leave the drugs out, for the moment, I think the shoes have, have a lot to not answer for or whichever. But I think that the shoes, each athlete reacts differently to the shoe. That's been sort of proven now. I mean, I was reading a, a, a paper the other day that mentioned that the, the bloke's world record holder now in the marathon, he's what they called an hyper responser. Now, you know, you've got super responser, hyper responser, but if each individual gets a, a different response from the shoe, you know, what makes him go faster. That can answer to a point. I think, I personally think, I can't, you can't point the finger and, and say drugs. I think if we, we're being honest and we look at Kenya's record over the misuse of drugs, etc., it's not good. It's very poor. I mean, it's only today, is it today or yesterday, the fellow who's run the sixth fastest time in the marathon has just got banned for 10 years. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Now, he, he's run two too. So you, you want me to believe that somebody who's run two hours, regardless of the shoe technology, is clean. You know, I can't really say it's dirty, but also there's somebody behind him who's running two hours, two minutes, taking drugs. One of the paces for... Uh, the uh, sub two project got done for I, I think it was whereabouts, but of course whereabouts is leading to being a bit dodgy, 
Uh, then you've got uh, Kipsan fiddling his uh, whereabouts again. He's a police officer in the, and he held the world record at 2 3. I'm, I'm right there at 2 yeah, hours yeah. 3. Yeah. There, I think there's enough um, evidence to suggest it isn't just, you know, simply the shoes. Um, and of course, you can't really point the finger. I mean, I think we just have to presume that athletes are clean until proven otherwise. I, exactly. Exactly. But it does. It does uh, there is a credibility issue for the sport. Um, oh, there is. I think. I think we can. Po- I tell you. I think we can point the finger at Sebastian Coe for allowing this mess that he's created with the shoes. You know, yeah. with the shoes, as he said, we he has created an unlevel playing field. It's no longer fair. Which, like drugs, as you know, one person responds better to drugs than another person. Yeah, so, one of the things that, that we talked about, Jimmy, and uh, you know, you're from, I'm presuming, a working class background in the north of England yeah, in Yorkshire. Yeah. When I was a lad, you know, your financial background had no bearing on your ability to become a runner because shoes were, you just put on your gutties and you ran. Yeah. You know, I have an era where if you want to buy the top shoes, that's a big financial outlay for, for, for young lads and young girls who want to be exactly. runners. Exactly. Well, I, I said this when they first came out with the cost. I related it back saying that if I was running now, I couldn't afford to run or I would be at a disadvantage because I'd be lining up against somebody who would have the super shoes on, whereas I wouldn't have been able to afford them. And so that's that's unfair. It's wrong. Uh, we should all be equal across the board somehow. And as I said, I, I don't blame, I, you know, the Nike and Co., to do with it. I mean, yeah, they've made a right mess of the sport, really. Jimmy, on an upbeat note, we finished with something really positive. I'm right in saying that you ran in Northern Ireland once upon a time, I think in the Kodak 10K in Bangor. Were you second? Yes, yes. To yeah, well, the late, great Jerry Kiernan, who just passed, thanks. sadly, a year or two ago. Um, Any memories uh, no. of that race? Yeah, quite a, Well, yeah, one or two, really. I, I do remember... The part when we were we were actually racing, and uh, Jury's got a bit of a gap on me, and I, and I seem to remember we sort of running downhill. You'll not you'll know, Banger, won't you? Yeah. You know, there's a, a downhill part in it. I don't know if it's near the finish or whatever, but I remember him thinking, I'll just close the gap on him and I'll sit on him and I'll, I'll kick him. I didn't know I were a four minute miler. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my my thinking. But I I do, I do, I remember remember that part of the race. And it was an hard and fast, it seemed hard and fast from the gun, you know. Typical races, what seemed to be run in the 80s, you just went bang. And really, you you hung on and survived. It was a really uh, good field that day. I think Nat Muir finished about six. It was a good field, yeah. It was. You had some good Irish lads there. I know that. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it's uh, looking back. There was a golden age in Ireland at the same time. Um, oh yeah. You know yeah, the John Tracys, Eamon Cochlands, and all those guys. Um, I can remember a, a, a lad from Ireland called Donnelly. Donnelly, Donnelly is it in a blue vest? He he came over to Birmingham to run in the three A's half marathon championships, and I've got a really old photograph of him. And he's just, as I'm coming in to finish, he's just behind me, he's running. We both run 63 minutes and he's maybe 20 seconds behind me. Awful day, what? And I can, but I can't remember his first name. 
Yeah, we had a Dermot Donnelly, but I think he's a bit too young, who was yeah. a, a 1327 5K runner, but I don't think he went up to half marathon. So it might have been yeah. a guy from down south. Somebody, one of our listeners will definitely know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, remember, I come over to do the uh, Belfast half marathon once, you know. I don't know where I finished there. But I'll tell you another quick tale here. We <laughs> we 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 stopped in the hotel and we had this lovely uh, meal. It were French, you know, French cuisine. Yeah. All little bits, all little bits. And there were about half a dozen of us girls and lads and that. And uh, we we had the and then we're all starved, so we all went outside to chipper and got some fish and chips. <laughs> yeah. See nutrition, you needed your nutrition because you were training so hard. <laughs> Jimmy, are you still involved in the sport in any way today? I no, no, not really. I, I, up to about twelve months ago, I was coaching quite a few people, you know, and things like that. But I never. Because I've not passed any exams or anything like that, so it's a case of somebody gets in touch with me, I'll try and help them, and that's it. Danny, before we go, anything else you want to ask Jimmy while we still have him? There wasn't anything else that uh, came to mind other than just want to say, you know, Matt, massive thanks for giving up your evening and having a chat to us. It's truly inspiring, and I think uh, a lot of people think back to, you know, that, that era of running and they, you know, that think were just what a fantastic time it was and just brilliant performances. Some of them were records that hung around for decades. So yeah, it's really, yeah. really interesting yeah. for me to hear about it. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was looking back, especially now I look back, it was it was good fun, really, you know. And you don't realise at the time, but how lucky you were to be in that, that sort of era when there were all these good, good runners about, you know, good runners that even today are still looked up to. Really, it's 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 good. It's good for the sport, but we'll we'll see. We'll see where it got the next chapter goes. Eh? <laughs> So, Michael, what a great interview with Jimmy. Truly, uh, truly an inspirational bloke from back in the day. What do you think? The thing that it really stuck out for me in the conversation was um, back then the guys were sort of freed from the constraints that Garmin's and running for time seems to place on, you know, modern athletes. He just went out and raced and, you know, that's quite a freeing kind of thing. And the times followed. He said sometimes he went out uh, and he blew up, but when he was able to hang on, he was often rewarded with a really, really good time. And maybe there's a lesson there for, for people running today, not to be so wedded to the, the garment. Yeah, we've got a lot of data influencing running and that sort of thing in this day and age. But yeah, it was super interesting for me as well, hearing about you know just how many miles he was able to cover and no super shoes, working this full-time, quite intense job. Uh, yeah, it's a really nice bloke and we were super stoked to have him on. Transitioning from there, uh, we're talking to, we actually actually got chatting to Dervla Cox from Annadale Striders. She just ran a marathon a week or two ago in Amsterdam. She ran a massive PB there. So I decided, why not? Let's get her on the pod and hear how it went. So I will roll that interview now and yeah, we can catch up after and um, you let me know what you think. Welcome Dervla to the back straight. Uh, 
we've you've been someone that we've wanted to to get on ever since we heard that you, you were racing in Amsterdam there. So no better time when you've just run a big PB. Uh, how are you feeling? Are you, do you have any aches and pains after the race? Not too bad now. Um, I think maybe Wednesday I started feeling kind of normal again. I woke up and I was a bit late for work. And I ran up the stairs and I was like, oh, I've just ran. I must be okay again. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's kind of settled down, but still not running. <laughs> yeah. Gonna gonna take a few days or leave it out the whole week till you run again? The week. Yeah, I'll give it the week. Yeah. No rush back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the way, especially after such a long training block. And then you actually run the marathon. It's, it's good to give yourself some time to, to relax. So. I guess, you know, a quick bit about your progression. Uh, you ran your first marathon in 2021 in Belfast. Well, it's the first one I trained for. I, I actually did one in Chicago in 2019, um, but I was maybe running like 25 miles a week just for that, just for that marathon. Um, so, yeah, so I have I had the marathon experience, but like it was obviously a very good experience because there was no pressure I didn't know what a tempo run was back then or like what pace was. <laughs> so um, I would say Belfast was the first one like I trained and raced. Yeah. Yeah. And you you ran three or five in 2021 in Belfast and then you yeah. ran Belfast again and you semi-famously run, ran uh, under three hours in that run. So that was yeah. a good run. And then since then, you ran London at the start of this year in around about 2.56. Correct me at any point yeah. if I'm wrong. No, and that's right. Now you've just returned from Amsterdam <laughs> with a shiny PB of 2 hours 50, 56. Uh, <laughs> so you've taken six minutes off your time in, in one year. So um, I heard there was a bit of controversy with the with the actual timing of the race. Yeah, whenever I finally got my phone, um. I had loads of messages and actually missed calls from one of the girls in Annadale, Robin, and she's like, are you okay? And I was like, why do people think I'm not okay? My tracker cut off at 40K. Um, so like up until then, I'd obviously been going quite well. Um, and then, but I did see that there was an official result for me, but it didn't match my watch. But obviously we know like watches are, I was like, oh, it's probably just my watch. I don't know what's happened. And then I actually went into the toilet as well. So I was like, maybe it auto paused, but like I didn't stop it or anything. And it was running because I was watching it click down. <laughs> and um, so I was like, maybe something to do that. Couldn't work it out. And then, but there was a gun time also attached. But my husband had taken a video of me because obviously it was in the Olympic Stadium. So it was like a cool finish. And I was like, hey, that gun time doesn't match the gun time, like, you know, that I can see in the video. So, um, and we kind of quit, like we were kind of wondering me and a couple of the fellas that were over in Amsterdam. And then we kind of came to the conclusion that kind of estimated my end. Um, and I wasn't going to like, but it had also like brought it into the 251. I was like, I totally didn't run that. And then um, there was like a wee button you could click to say like you could query it. So I just sent an email and I was never expected them to even get back to me or anything. But I just said I sent a few attachments of the things that they asked for. And then I was like, did you I know that you lost me in the last 2K? And then they basically said they used a couple of people that were around me. Um, um, but they had slowed down, whereas I had sped up at the end. So that's where the gap was. Um, but they did correct it. So, <laughs> yeah, all happy good. days. So actually, uh, I guess on that as well, I had a look at the splits for the race. It sort of looked like you were, I guess, um, hovering around that 6.30 pace for most of the race. And mm -hmm. then at around about mile 21, you decided to sort of kick down from there and 
you finished your last few miles in your fastest miles of the race. So was that sort of your plan going into the race? Yeah, um, I didn't really know if I had a plan. I I wanted I went out at two fifty two pace, so that was the plan, and then so that that was six thirty fours. So I actually had like all like you know half of what six thirty four was. So those were things that were going over in my head, but I just kind of ran to natural feel as well. I didn't want to do anything too stupid at the beginning, so I didn't want to go faster in the six thirties. Um. And then I give, there's a guy in Annadale, Tommy, he always gives himself a, a 10 second window. So I was like, I, that's what I do now. So I was like, I'll give myself anywhere between 625s and 635s. And if I keep it in there, I'm happy. And then, yeah, I got to 20 mile. And one of the guys I run with was like, you can definitely pick it up when you get to 20 mile. But I've never done that before. So I was like, that's easy for people to say. And then I got to 20 mile and I was like, do you know what? I actually feel okay. Switch off, don't look to watch again and just run as fast as I can. Like, just race the last 10k yeah. So, yeah yeah it's always that that scary moment where you think if i if i do start to kick down a little bit here is that going to ruin my race in a couple of miles i know or, but yeah lucky luckily yeah. it worked perfectly this time so yeah that's happy days yeah. really with regards to amsterdam when did you do, decide to sign up what was your motivation with going over there for that race um two of the girls i know had sit there returning 30 and one of them was going to do the, the marathon and one of them's going to do the half and they kind of mentioned it and I was like that's really cool <laughs> I was like um I hadn't really planned another marathon that soon after London um but I just you know I've been to Amsterdam twice before so I actually just really love the city too and then obviously a flat marathon was very appealing um so it just all I just got thinking about it and then I was following the Amsterdam Instagram page and I think I seen something like 50 entries left and then I was like just do it even if you don't go just pick it <laughs> yeah yeah why not so how, how long was the training block all up um 12 weeks I I think I tried a 16 week one for London and I peaked and died a little bit and just had to like hold on to fitness for London um but so I knew that that was too long for me I I get fit quite quick so I was like, 12's fine. Um, and then I just picked one of the guys in the club's brains about um, <laughs> some sessions. And uh, he helped me with a bit of a plan. He's color coordinated and everything. Um, yeah. I know, but I kind of, I hurt my foot at the end of week one. Um, so I cross-trained week two. And then for about four weeks, I ran everything on the grass, like 18 milers, whatever. Um and then moved back to the road and seemed that it worked. <laughs> okay. Do, do you have any um, marathon sessions that you remember as being particularly enjoyable, particularly hard? Do you like those kind of sessions? or? I love them. Um, it's hard to even say because my first, most of them are meant to be track sessions, but because my foot was sore and I went to the grass, it just turned into like four by seven minutes. Um, so I wasn't even on pace. Um. But luckily, I sent in what session I was doing every Tuesday morning into the Annadale group WhatsApp. And I was like, if anybody wants to join me, come to the pitches. And loads of them turned up. So it was really cool. Um, Yeah, I don't like there was none that really there's a 10 mile one that I did 10 days out. So it's 10 mile marathon tempo. And two of the guys in the club came and helped me. And it was one of those nights that it was lashing out of the heavens. It was so windy. It was down in Heron Road. There's always a wind. And I'm like, well, this is as bad as it gets. So if I can run okay here tonight, then <laughs> um, yeah. I kind of like doing sessions in adverse weather. So then 
you're, you're not always going to get that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you can hold marathon pace in adverse weather, then, you know, that yeah. on race day with all these people around you and the atmosphere that it's going to feel yeah. nice and easy then. So you mentioned about the foot as well. What was the diagnosis there? Just a bit of bone stress or? Um, no, it was the tendon, the perineal tendon that runs along the outside. I just not sure. Just after training one night, I was walking the dog and I was like, that does not feel good. And then I did an easy run the next day and had to stop. Um, and then, yeah, it just wouldn't really go away or calm down. And it, I've had foot surgery on that foot before. So I was like, I just knew it's a bit temperamental. So I just um, chilled out, took a few days off, went in the cross trainer and then spoke to a friend that was a physio. And she was like, can you just run on the grass for a while? And um, I was like, yeah, but I can't do it forever because <laughs> the marathon's on the road. Um, but yeah, yeah. I did it for about four weeks, maybe like everything, sessions, tempos um my sunday long run um just laps of the dub pitches for a while um, it worked out well in the end because i'd never really ran that much in the grass before and i didn't realize how strong you could get so mm. no doubt you'd be the local legend at the dub pitches on strava i'd say i definitely <laughs> was at one stage <laughs> yeah uh how's the foot now is it all good did it pull up okay it yeah it got through but i did actually feel it um in the marathon but not compared to what I was feeling like I was just like there that is but I was like but it's okay because I, I know I can get the run done um yeah. so I just need to maybe be careful <laughs> from yeah. here so talk to us about the race how, how did you find it did so you, you went out on uh what was it what were you sort of aiming for through halfway um <laughs> I had my uh I actually wrote what I wanted to come through in a little napkin on the way to the airport uh, in the car so I had wrote for like 5k I think it was 20 30 10k 40 48 I think it's halfway 126 or something and then I think I came through halfway a bit slower so maybe 126 40 or something but I was on like I was on target um and I had stopped to the toilet so I knew I could I'd make that up again um so yeah, I knew halfway I was fine. And then after that, I just wanted to get to mile 20. Some, some like the pace sort of similar. And then like, like we chatted about, just see what happened after 20. Um, yeah. Did you have a nice group around you for most of the race? Um, not, I moved up, like I moved groups. There was maybe two or three of the same people. Um, but I kept trying to like move forward. Um there was one guy from Beachmount who I knew and I bumped into him in maybe mile eight or nine and we ran together and then I was like I need to go to the toilet I need to go to the toilet so we fight we got up portaloo and then um I was like see you later and then so I lost him at mile 11 and my goal was to find that group again where he was so I never actually caught I didn't want to do anything stupid I was like just work your way slowly back up there um and I actually didn't catch them again until like maybe mile 19 um but I caught them nonetheless and I knew that there was still more in me at the end so <laughs> amazing and it's good that you were able to um you know complete your signature move of ducking into a portaloo mid-marathon or <laughs> it seems to be a, a recurring luckily uh... it was only 30 seconds this time. yeah yeah <laughs> amazing i'm getting it down i'm mastering it <laughs> yeah we've been talking a lot about marathon shoes on the pod recently what what shoes did you wear i wore the vaporflies um i did wear asics metaspeeds for london but i don't really know why i ever changed off the vaporflies because they've always worked for me um 
I think I just wanted something different. Tried the vape or the Meta Speeds, wore them for Sealy last year, a few different races. I do like them. It was the only time in my life I started sort of getting wee niggles along my Achilles. So I was like, do you know what? Vapor flies have never really flared up anything. So I just went back to them. Yeah. And so, have you yeah. tried the Alpha Fly before or? Not even, and not really for any particular reason, other than I don't like the look of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're a bit, they're a bit clunky, but boy, oh boy, they feel like trampolines. So yeah, I've heard, but I don't know if I like. I'm clumsy enough in a pair of vapor flies, so like, yeah, yeah, that will do. <laughs> what about uh, what about race nutrition? Both you know, prior to the race, did you have a, a good carb load the day before, and then actually during the race, what were you sort of having some gels or anything like that? It's really hard when you're in a different country. Um, I actually was a bit annoying over the weekend with my husband. Like we went at, we went to Wagamama's on this Friday night and I ordered something. I have to keep it very plain, like chicken and rice sweat or something that I thought was very plain. And then it came out and I kept picking through the chicken and he was like, you're not going to eat that, are you? <laughs> so his came out and I was like, can we swap? <laughs> yeah. um, it was the paranoia. And yeah. then even the next day we ordered bagels and I ordered, I can't remember, I think it was chicken and them as well. And they, neither of us enjoyed them. And he was like, right, you're not allowed to get chicken anymore. <laughs> and he was like, you're overthinking the life out of this. He's like, stop overthinking. Everything will be okay. <laughs> I was just like, I know, but it's just obviously whenever you've had that sort of tell me problems before, like everything plays into your head. Um, yeah. I would say I didn't carb load majorly, but only because my diet's pretty carby um anyway um like my husband's like 90 kilos or something and I'd eat more than him so it didn't really require much extra but I probably had some more crisps and stuff the day before like anything I know that isn't very healthy but anything that I could just use as fuel the next day was going in anything that stocks up the the glycogen reserves what about what about during the race did you take some gels or what was your plan for that I did I took Morton gels um I had five on me and then I had some like little electrolyte tablets um, that you just like pop in your mouth. And I'd use them before both of them, that mix, whenever I was like running around Drumbo Hills and they worked out really well on those like long runs. So then I just I actually hadn't tried them that much, maybe twice on long runs, but they seemed to work. So I took five gels with me and a couple of electrolyte tablets I dropped a gel, um, so I didn't stop to pick it because I didn't want everything to cease up. <laughs> I was like, I can't stand. Um, I was like, I just have to forget about it, let it go. I still had one on me at that stage, so I was like, I have one more left. And then <laughs> I actually had my electrolyte tablets and some Haribo sweets in like a compete blister thing, and I opened it up and not thinking I only did it like the night before and then I opened it up and I was running and everything like there was Haribo flying all over the towpath I was like oh my goodness just get an electrolyte <laughs> um, so I probably need to work on that part <laughs> yeah yeah look I wouldn't say you've got it down to a fine art but uh yeah no. I think you're heading in the right direction what did you get up to after the marathon as well did you go out for a few beers did you hit the red light district what was the go we um we went just to the bar straight after Um, there was my husband and then the Beachmount uh, guy and then his father was there. So we went to the bar after, but we'd lost one of the other fellas. We needed to find him as well. So we didn't want to stay too long when we didn't have him. <laughs> um, so we went for a couple of beers and then we wanted to go home and get showered and stuff. And then we went back out again down to an Irish bar and watched all the rugby and had more drinks and food and we didn't stay out too late. Um, we didn't go to the red light district that night, but I'd already had a wee, wee dander about it on the Friday night. 
<laughs> yeah. 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 I've never actually been to Amsterdam, but I assume that's just still the, all the clubs and fun spots over there. So, oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Nice, nice way to, I guess, get hydrated again. And yeah, good yeah. that the rugby was on. Dublin's not too far away as well. Uh, so, you know, being that you've just smashed a marathon recently, do you have any advice for people who may be towing the line for the first time in Dublin or, you know, just racing in Dublin? Um, not freak out like I did <laughs> coming up to it. Um, yeah, just not overthink anything. Like I was like, oh, my resting heart rate's getting really high and looking at stuff that don't matter and that you can't do anything about. Um, so then I ended up just taking my watch off. I was like, stop looking at your resting heart rate. Nothing's going to change. I was like, you still have a marathon to run. Um, <laughs> so I just think, um, yeah, just chill out in the two weeks. Enjoy the taper. That is whenever your body's absorbing everything. Um, people kind of worry they're losing fitness but you're not going to um and then just on the day I know this is hard to say because you're nervous but try and enjoy it like I'm not doing anything stupid in the first couple of miles <laughs> yeah it seems like the way to run a marathon is you know to first and foremost enjoy what's happening because yeah that means that you're probably running conservatively enough that you'll be able to run a bit harder towards the end and that sounds pretty much what like what you did so yeah and you're, we're also very lucky to be in the position to go out and run a marathon. So definitely don't take that for granted, I think. No, absolutely not. So that's that big one done. Is that you complete for the year or are you looking to race again? Maybe no more marathons, but something shorter perhaps? Uh, signed up to Sealy today. Um, I've kind of left on the back burner, but I uh, don't want to don't feel left out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll do that. And then... I'll decide something into the new year after that. Um, marathons have been left to the side for now, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny thing with the marathon where you know you do it and you sort of think to yourself directly after, all right, I'm not doing one of those for a long time, and then you know it starts creeping back into your head. Oh, that was really fun. Maybe I should do that again. So, are there any marathons that you'd like to do potentially next year? Or, um, Berlin would actually be class. Um. I know because I never really thought I'd get that low in the 250 um, like sort of category. So when I ran it, I was like, oh, my goodness, if I could run that, I could maybe do sub 250. <laughs> and like those things never really I would think of that before. But obviously you always are like, right, well, if I can do that, I can definitely take another minute off. So never say never. But I had said that that would be my last one for a couple of years. And now I think I'm even lying when I say that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having a chat tonight. And uh, yeah, congratulations again. I know that uh, a lot of work went into it and it's a fantastic result. And now you get to enjoy that result. So yeah, congratulations. Thanks very much. Thanks and good luck in Dublin. <laughs> Thank you kindly. Yeah, can't wait to be in your position. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> See you, Devil. Bye. So we've just heard from Dervla Cox there, uh, just uh, fresh off her marathon in Amsterdam and uh, shiny new PB, six-minute PB. What do you think, Michael? Well, Danny, I caught up with Dervla on last Friday. I was in Forestside Shopping Centre and Dervla comes up the escalator looking fresh as a daisy. So uh, we had a chat. She told me she'd been talking to you. So uh, she was super happy with the result. Um, you know, PB, of about five minutes, what's not to like. Um, I think she's a really, really talented athlete. Um, 
And I joked with her again, I would love to see, now she's kind of scratched the marathon itch for a little while. I'd love to see what she could do for, for 10K, 5K on the roads. Um, if she was really just focusing on that and able to do a bit more speed work, et cetera, because she's got that marathon strength. Now it gets a bit more speed in the legs. She could uh, surprise a few people. And some of the ladies uh, who are currently a bit quicker than her, I think would have a real, you know, she would be a handful for anyone. Yeah, as she mentioned in the interview there, we just have to look forward to how she goes in the Sealy in four weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that'd be a good race. I know there's a lot of uh, a lot of athletes who, you know, as we get towards the end of the year, they start looking towards the Sealy as the last big race. So that's definitely something that is on my calendar for the end of the year. Um, and I think we're, yeah, we're both looking forward to seeing how everyone runs in that and the build up towards it. And just on the Sealy, um, some of the guys in the group, the chat the other day was there were about 82 places left out of a thousand. There'll clearly be fewer by the time this pod goes out. So I would suspect that if you don't get in this week, you're not going to make it. It's a race that is again, very, very popular and will fill up. Yep. You snooze, you lose. Uh, in between now and then though, I think there's a few cross country races that are coming up post Dublin marathon. So um, a couple of those feature in the uh, NI Cross Country League. Yeah, I think I think Cumber is about a month away, and the McConnell Shield is the next big local cross country race. I don't think it is part of the league. Is it the fourth of November? Yeah, um, I'm not entirely sure. I'd have to look it up about it being in the league. But um, yeah, at least there's a few a few races there to sort of um, yeah. tie the tie the punters over. A lot of people, Danny, will be um, certainly cross country. A lot of the kids who qualified yesterday um, in the age groups will be looking to the nationals. A lot of the senior athletes will be looking at the nationals. North Belfast have a very strong team this year. Um, Milligan, McNally, Conan McCockey, Matthew Lavery running really well. Um, Conan McCambridge, they could be, you know, really strong contenders to get on the podium. Striders will have a good team. Uh Nova, number of the local ladies are going down. Letter Kenny are defending ladies' champions. So that's, I think, November the 19th. And it's in Kilkenny and Gyron. And that's going to be a super, super meet. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, that that looks like a fantastic race. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that are yeah looking forward to that. I think um, we may have most of an episode might be spent just on that. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. As I, I personally, I know nothing about it, which is probably quite evident <laughs> there. But, um, yeah. Other than that, I think that that pretty much um, that pretty much does us for an episode. There's a fair few celebrity appearances on this one, so yeah, yeah. I'm happy to wrap yeah, it up there that, if you are, Michael. Yeah, there's just one one last thing. I would be remiss of me if I didn't mention it. So, uh, Kilkeel's finest middle distance athlete, Jimmy Sloan, James to his uh, to his family, um, who's a member of Anadale Striders and part of the Wasteland Track Club training group. Jimmy is actually getting married uh, this Thursday. Um, and I know a few of the Wasteland boys are going down just to make sure that Jimmy gets onto the start line on time. Um, so we just want to shout out to Jimmy and to Claire and to wish them all the best. But the best bit I heard about the whole wedding honeymoon kind of deal was that uh, Jimmy's going to, uh, to Mexico for two weeks for his honeymoon. But like any, you know, good runner, he discovered that there's a 10K 
in Cancun during his honeymoon and he got an entry in. So that's what I like to see. I wonder if I wonder if he's uh, cleared that with the future Mrs. Sloan. Maybe not. <laughs> it's very early in the morning, so I think he's gonna he's he's gonna just sneak out, do the race, and come back. You know. So, but look, Brilliant. seriously, have a good one, Jimmy. Yeah, congratulations, Jimmy, and uh, yeah, look forward to hearing about how it went when you get back. But as far as uh, the rest of the episode, I think that's us, Michael. So, look, thanks for joining me again, and uh, hopefully, yeah. Everyone enjoys this episode and we'll catch up again soon. Good luck, Danny. Next Sunday, we'll all be rooting for you in Dublin. And uh, we look forward to hearing a blow-by-blow account, not hopefully not literally blow-by-blow, but step-by-step account of how it all went. Yeah, hopefully it's a good one. And uh, yeah, it'll either be commiserations or celebrations for the next episode. I'll make sure to give everyone a recap. So yeah, until then, hooroo. Cheers.